The reading this evening is taken from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to, give, to pay him back, so if he gave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Thank you, Jenny. Let me pop my stuff down. Evening, everyone. Oh, thanks. That's nice. Cool. Um, so we're going to start this evening thinking about this question. I want you to answer it in your heads. You're having a dinner party, all right? Um, or if you're like me, <laughs> you've invited some people around for a Domino's because you can't really cook. Either way, some people are coming to your house for dinner, um, and you can invite four people around, alive or dead. Who are you inviting? Maybe it's someone super famous, you know, like Kim K. Maybe it's someone like Obama, someone influential. Or maybe it's someone in your family who you'd love to have met. Or perhaps you'd say probably the correct answer and say Jesus, because, you know, it would be pretty cool to have him in your home. But in our passage, Simon, this Pharisee, he's doing just this. He has Jesus round his house for a dinner party, probably the ultimate dinner party guest. There's also probably a couple of Simon's friends there too, which makes a pretty interesting dinner. Jesus and a Pharisee together. Now, the Pharisees, they were definitely not um, Jesus' biggest fans, but we can tell from this passage that some of them clearly wanted to spend some more time with him because Simon's invited him there. Now, if that's because Simon genuinely wants to get to know Jesus or whether he's just curious, um, it doesn't really matter. He wants to know more and he's willing to give Jesus a bit of his time. But as we've read, someone arrives at this dinner who completely wasn't on the list, who wasn't one of Simon's chosen few. This Pharisee, Simon, he is in for a real lesson from Jesus. He's about to learn more about Jesus, about Jesus' forgiveness, 
and how the hearts of those who are touched by that forgiveness can be completely transformed. So imagine this. They're sat around the table. They'd be eating some food, you know, good conversation. And here comes the interruption. The meal is interrupted by a woman, no less. This is a big deal. The divide between men and women is massive. And for a woman to arrive unannounced and start doing what she did, well, in society's eyes, that's completely disgraceful. Let alone the fact that this woman has a terrible reputation. She would not have been at all welcome in this Pharisee's home. Except this time, she is because it's Jesus who welcomes her. So she's arrived. She's in the house. Then she gives everything that she has to Jesus. She lets her tears fall. She pours that expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and then wipes them with her hair. She isn't holding back, not at all. But the only reason she can be acting like this, I believe, is because she knows who Jesus is and she knows what he's done for her. She knows that he's the one that's forgiven her, the one who can set her free. Now, as I was writing this, I saw some people think um, that this woman had already had an interaction with Jesus before she comes into this house, that she's already experienced his love and forgiveness and now has come to find him again. Perhaps she is experiencing forgiveness right now, Either way, she knows that Jesus has restored her or is restoring her in this passage. In a world that completely rejected her, Jesus showed her love and he welcomed her home to him, even though it wasn't his home. Now, we think that this woman was probably a prostitute, so the life that she led meant that she would have been shunned. She was completely cut off from love until this, until now until she's met Jesus. And the things that she does, the tears, the hair, the perfume, laying at Jesus' feet, that's her response to this forgiveness, her response to being redeemed. She takes this bold step of coming into this house where she doesn't belong, into the presence of Jesus, where she completely does belong, and pouring out this perfume but ultimately she is pouring out love. There's perfume there, but she's pouring out her love for him out of thankfulness and out of love. Now, by this point in the dinner, things are probably quite awkward. You've got this kind of overwhelming display of love over here on the floor um, because they would lay down, and so Jesus' feet would be at the back, and so she would be yeah, on the floor over here doing all of that, and the rest of the guests are kind of just sat there, probably wondering what on earth is going on but Jesus knows what Simon is thinking in his heart. Simon can't believe that this woman is doing this in his house, but I think even more so, he can't believe Jesus is letting her do this. He says to himself, but Jesus knows what's in his heart. He says, how can Jesus be who he says he is if he's letting this woman, this sinner, embarrass herself in front of Jesus? But clearly, Jesus wants Simon to learn something here. He wants Simon's heart to change just as much as that woman's heart has been transformed. So he says these words that, to be honest, if Jesus said to me, oh, it just makes your stomach turn, he turns to Simon and says, Simon, I have something to tell you. 
So Jesus wants Simon, and I believe he wants us to learn from him, about him, through this sinful woman who Simon didn't even want there. He has something to learn from her. And classic Jesus, he tells his answer um, wrapped up in a story to help Simon understand and to help us understand too. So the story is that two people, they're in debt. One is in a little bit of debt. One is in humongous debt. And then their debts both get cancelled. Then Jesus asks the question, which I think beautifully sums up what the woman is doing in that house. Who would love more because their debt was cancelled? Who would be more grateful? Who would be more thankful? Who would love more? And of course, the answer, the one that had the biggest debt cancelled is more grateful. And that person, their response is probably one of overwhelming thankfulness, probably even disbelief that this is even a reality. And I think questions like this will probably go through someone's head if that much debt was cancelled. Things like, how can someone be so generous? How can someone let go of all this owed money? What have I done to deserve being freed from that debt? But why would the person in the bigger debt be more loving? Why would they be more grateful? I think it's because they know exactly what they've been saved from. They know what they've been saved from. Debt, it's trapping, isn't it? It weighs you down. Debt creates a barrier to living a life where you can be free. And doesn't that sound similar to how sin affects us? That it can weigh us down. That when it makes your character angry or bitter or perhaps even full of shame. Sin, just like debt, but obviously worse, can take a hold on our lives and stops us from living the life that Jesus has called us to. This nameless woman in this passage is named a sinner. She had a bad reputation, but Jesus forgave her. He welcomed her home, and she knew exactly how to respond. She responded in that love, that adoration, because she knew what she was saved from, and she knew who she was saved by. Now, what we don't want to have here is a bit of a Simon moment. We don't want to be thinking, that woman is awful, kind of like looking down over there and thinking, that's great, but that could never be me. Because really, are we that different to that woman, to that sinner? None of us are up to scratch. We all fall short of the glory of God. But sometimes we are Simon. Sometimes we are looking and we're judging. But really, we are that woman. We're people who have messed up, but people who can be redeemed by Jesus. We've been forgiven a lot, so we are to love a lot. We have to know what we've been saved from and who we've been saved by. And to that, our response is worship, that we have a saviour that is so, so good that we have been pulled from the depths of sin and made new in Christ. Our response is love. We've been redeemed, that Jesus saved that woman and he died to save us too, we've been forgiven freely and graciously, then I think it's up to us to take that and respond in love and thankfulness. Our series is Love God, Love Neighbor. Both are so important, but I don't think we can do the neighbor bit until we know how to love God. I think we need to get this the right way round. The gift of perfume, the display of emotion, the devotion that this woman showed, that's not what saved her. 
Her faith saved her. Jesus says so in verse 50. It's not our actions that save us, as good as they are. It's not how much time we've spent in church or how well we know our Bibles that saves us. It's Jesus that saves us. It's our faith that saves us. It's whether we accept Jesus. It's not about, um, it's not about that perfume. That's a response. It's Jesus that pays that price. But then that display of love, that comes after the forgiveness. That's a response. Things like spending time with him, loving his people, loving our neighbor, that comes afterwards. Learning about him, that comes out of knowing that we are forgiven. So as we think about this woman's display of love, I wonder, what's our response to being forgiven? Firstly, do you have a response to being forgiven? Do you know that you are forgiven? Have you accepted that yet? Are we willing to embarrass ourselves by displaying how thankful we are for what Jesus did for us? What's it like to receive something that you don't deserve? What's it like to be invited somewhere where you shouldn't belong? This grace, it doesn't make sense to us, but it's given to us freely. And that's what happens when we're brought into God's kingdom. After we've been forgiven, I I don't believe God needs us to grovel or feel shame or feel embarrassed to come to him because of what we've done. He wants us. He welcomes us. I think later we're singing, oh, come to the altar, and that's perfect. He just wants you close. Our response is love. So I wonder what a response of love for God because of his forgiveness for you. What would that look like for you? And what's stopping us from doing that? What's stopping us from receiving the forgiveness that God offers and then offering our lives, our worship, and our love to him because of that? Are we stuck on the fact that we can even be forgiven? Is it that we're worried about what those around us might say or think if we jump in wholeheartedly to a life with Jesus? Is it that life doesn't always feel good enough to respond in love and thankfulness? Now, the lady in our passage, she brings this perfume in an alabaster jar. Now, this is a jar. You have to break it to get the perfume out. You know those slightly annoying piggy banks where you put your money in, then you have to smash it to get the money out? It's kind of like that. She has to break this bottle to get the perfume out. She has a choice. She has a choice to give all that she has for Jesus out of love for him, because of the forgiveness, to break that jar, to let the perfume spill out, and then there's no going back. She can't turn back. She either keeps that jar or she breaks it open and goes full on in this act of worship. And tonight we can do the same. We can pray against the worries of what others might say. We can pray against the fear of throwing ourselves into this love We can pray against the shame that stops us from doing that. Jesus, he wants to know you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And he is calling you to accept this forgiveness and step into what it means for you to love God wholeheartedly in your context, in your workplace, at home, whatever that looks like for you, to love God wholeheartedly. So what does this pouring out look like? Is Jesus prompting you this evening to break that jar, to break what's ever holding, what's holding you back from accepting his forgiveness and accepting his love and then responding in nothing but love and adoration?
and we're not by ourselves. The Holy Spirit can help us to do this. The Holy Spirit can help us to break that jar and give it all to Jesus. We want to respond in love and adoration, and that's our love God part, and we'll never get it completely right, but we can give all that we are as best as we can, and then that flows out of us to the people that we meet. I'd love to pray before we um, really do worship together in song. Lord, thank you that you forgive us. Lord, please forgive us anew today. Make us fresh. Make us clean as snow, as white as snow. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, your love, and your mercy. And Lord, thank you for dying on the cross to save us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit to help us worship you wholeheartedly this evening, to hold nothing back, to break that jar. Um, yeah, may the tears come, may the perfume come. Um, yeah, may we give all of who we are to you in love and adoration. Amen.